Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the party. It's us. It is us in the flesh and the audio waves. You know it. We're here for another week of fun, entertainment, and tragedy this week, but we'll get on to that in just a minute. Um, I just wanted to let everyone know that I'm still sick. I'm just taking this, taking the spotlight <laughs> to be self-centered um, and just really get on, you know, just to preach my, as if people don't have like worse stuff going on in their lives, but it's day 15 for me of being sick. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, you know, I've How been saying- How sick I'm, are you still? Well, I mean, I, I'm still pretty stuffed up, but the sore throat is gone. So, like, you know, no, I think I keep saying we're on the uppity every episode, but it's been like five weeks of five weeks. I can't do math. It's been two weeks of saying I'm on the uppity, but um, I'm still <laughs> on the uppity. Um, what is the uppity? We don't know. However, um, the uppity is getting able to record this podcast again, once again with you, Sarah. Um, did I just say the podcast once again with you once again? Because so many once agains. But once again, we're here once again. And I'm so enthralled to hear about your week, Sarah. How's it been? Um, my week's been pretty good. Okay. I'm starting a new segment. Um, it's something that I do with some people in my life. But basically, tell me something about your week that you wouldn't normally like tell me about your week. Um, I bought a new candle from Bath & Body Works. Let me guess. Let I, me guess. Let me guess. Is it a seasonal I mean, one? I don't think it's seasonal, but I think it's like a new scent. Okay, so maybe I won't know, but um, you can just tell me what it is, I guess. So it's pink lavender and espresso. I was, what? Pink lavender and espresso? Yeah, it's, it smells really good. That sounds that sounds very interesting, but also fire. It's like, you know, me and my love for honey lavender lattes. Um, right. So it's kind of giving espresso plus lavender, which which we love here. Um I'm going to have to go to Bath and Body Works now, goddamn. Um, yeah, and for me, you didn't ask, but like, I'm just going to return the favor. I was going to ask. No, I know, <laughs> I know. I know it's always implied anyway. When I ask you something, I have to you know, answer it back for the listeners. Um, I didn't have anything ready to go anyway, but I'm just trying to think. Um, I was sick. Just kidding. I tell you that every day. I'm like, still sick, Sarah. Um, what's something about my week that I haven't told or that I wouldn't tell people normally? Um, da 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 da. I don't know. I I just um yeah. So I'll I'll think about something and I'll reflect on something. But okay. as as for right now, I can't think of anything to talk about in my week in my daily. I have to cut my nails. If that's yeah, oh. I have to cut my nails. Um, I cut them the other I day. I cut but... my toenails yesterday. Okay, slay. Yeah, we love cutting our nails. Um. <laughs> Yeah, something I re- I think that was yeah. I I last cut them I think in Moncton when we were in Moncton not last weekend but the weekend before, and I used your oh, nail yeah. clippers. You did. <laughs> did you give those back? I didn't take them with me. Are they missing? I don't have them. What? And I just I'm just remembering now that you <sighs> use them. Maybe did I set them on the counter? But I just didn't put them back in your bag. Probably, maybe. But it's it's really not a big deal. No, because I'll buy you a new pair. I swear <laughs> no. to God, I will. <laughs> And I mean, it's to all those people out there that are like, how dare you share nail clippers? Like, aren't you afraid of fungus? It's, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Sarah only cuts her toenails and I was cutting, I forgot when I cut my fingernails, whatever. Anyway. Yeah, it's like, um, <laughs> anyway, enough about the toenail talk. Um, although that was my fun little tidbit of what I have to do later. Um, I guess we'll get right into the swing of things. Um, this week, I actually was like the one that stood up to the, you know, the podium. Sarah's mm-hmm. been really, really apt and really keen on getting some great ideas out there in the works the past the past few weeks. So, you know, I thought to myself, let's sit down and let the light bulb go off in your head this week, Kale. Um, and it did. I, <laughs> and it so did. Like, I'm just so, I'm so alive right now. No, I was thinking to myself, because I've been, sorry to gatekeep all of my sources, but I've been... I should have told you when I when I fully when I explained this because Sarah's probably like what? Um, not that it's that hard, but I um this week I I just been like kind of like you know the recommended accounts that you see on Twitter or X, um where they're just like just like random accounts, but then like some of them are just weird. Like on my we're gonna say Twitter for all intents and purposes. Um, one that keeps coming up is morbid knowledge, and it's just like one that always comes up. And like I always have to like I always play like a game. It's almost like Russian roulette. Like click on the post and then see like I mean it's not like it just completely like jump scares you, but it's just like it's something that's just kind of bogs you down. And so I thought, wow, these are kind of some interesting stories. But what about 
if instead of just doing like a full dark, deep episode, because, you know, that'd be kind of depressing, what if we yeah. interlaced some positivity? And so, Sarah, do you want to tell them what we chose to speak? Like I kind of just did. No, 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 not like that. I was just going to say like, <laughs> like just kind of the, the base point. Oh, we both like, chose to. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay. <laughs> Sarah, just say all of your stories right now. <laughs> um. So yeah, we both chose to... Um, I really hope I did this right because Kale just told me to to choose two positive stories and two negative slash creepy slash weird stories. So that's exactly what I did. And I'm here today to present those to you. Of course. And I did the same. I didn't want, like I said, I was gatekeeping and I just really didn't want us to get the same, um, same kind of results. And so I didn't say, hey, Sarah, like I'm going to get some stories from the morbid knowledge um, Twitter yeah, account. Okay. So therefore, like, you probably didn't know how morbid. But I, I chose ones that weren't, because a lot of the posts on there are actually just like, here's a video taken from, like, I just saw, like, right before this episode, I saw one that was like, here's a video taken from space of the September, like, the the two World Trade Center towers. Um, like, here shows all the smoke coming on September. There's a lot of videos about 9-11, actually. Um, and they're all devastating. And so, everything on the account's devastating. But I just mean, you know, um, yeah, but yeah, no. So I guess we just we just decided, you know, let's. So honestly, I'm just kind of spiraling here. So let's start off with okay. Let's see if we want to end on a positive. Should we do like negative, negative, positive, positive, negative, negative, positive, positive? Let's let's do it that way. It's you know a little bit of a burden. Some come back a little bit of a burden, yeah. then end on a high highest the mountain peak. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so ready for it. Did you want to start off? Uh, you can start off. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I will start off with my negative. Okay. Da, 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 da. So, my first story is about a man named Greg Flanagan. Um, I don't know if I've heard about this story before, other than when I was researching it earlier. I got this from Morbid Knowledge on X, or Twitter for all intents and purposes. Um, but now in tw- 2010... Um, he was unwinding in room 348 of the Elegant Hotel in Beaumont, Texas. Um, great. I, I definitely have heard about this, actually. Sorry. Not that it matters to anybody but me. Um, but I wonder if you have as well. Um, so he was unexpectedly overcome by intense pain. He tried to grasp the door handle, but ended up collapsing onto the floor. Now, the following morning, I'm guessing he was away on a business trip or I don't know what he was doing. Um, his wife, becoming worried after receiving no response to her calls, requested the hotel staff to unlock the door. Now, according to Detective Scott Apple, cool name, um, but that's not the point, um, Flanagan had died, and his body was immediately taken away to the medical examiner to essentially confirm that, the cause of his, that his cause of death was a heart attack, as it appeared that he had died of natural causes. You know, nothing, like, there was a candy bar on the floor, like, right next to where he had been sitting. Kind of showed that he had went to the door. Um, Just kind of a weird, weird, you know, scene. Um, But the autopsy, however, uncovered extensive internal injuries, hinting at the possibility that Flanagan may have been assaulted. Nonetheless, there was no indications of a physical altercation or external wounds that were found. And so this autopsy, what are they called? Autopsists? I don't know. This autopsy detective. <laughs> this this cool, oh no, the coroner does an autopsy, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. The autopsist. <laughs> the autopsist. <laughs> yeah, the autopsist. Um, the autopsy, the, Jesus. The coroner, Brown, <laughs> ruled Flanagan's death a homicide. So it's like, what is this, a paranormal homicide? Like, what is going on? Um now, um, autopsist Apple worked tirelessly to find someone in Beaumont with the means, motive, and opportunity to commit the crime. Now, aside from a circuit breaker in Flanagan's room needing to re- be fixed the night before, um, there was no activity with the room. Nothing unusual happened at the hotel, um, the corner, or no, sorry, not the corner. The detective, <laughs> Detective Scott Apple, sorry, I'm confusing them all now, um, questioned the nearby hotel guests. Um, as well as electricians from Wisconsin who were working in one of the refineries in the area. And they said, oh, we hardly ever saw him. We don't know anything. So that's great information for the this, you know, this investigation. I almost called it a detection, I guess. We're all just going off the rails tonight on the crazy <laughs> train, as ACDC would say. Um, now, 
Flanagan's widow, um, Susie, was desperate. Susie, ah, uh, was sorry. I just like the name Susie. Um, but she was desperate for answers, and she hired a private investigator, Ken Brennan, um, maybe related to the Brennan family that we all know and love. Who knows? Um, a former New York police officer and DEA agent, drug enforcement. Agent. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm just reading from an article. So um, now living in Florida. Um, yeah, that's who she. That's who she called up and hired because she was like, "Okay, y'all can't do this." You know, the detective Apple was like, "What?" So now she wanted to see if I could find out who killed her husband. Brennan said, "Well, no, duh." Um, <laughs> so, according to many people in the community, Flanagan was successful in the oil business and known to have many friends. Um, his friend Martin said he'd give you not only the shirt off his back. But his back itself. Just kidding. He didn't say that. He said, oh. but the shoe is off of his feet. What an interesting quote would that have been. Um, yeah. So um, this puzzling scenario prompted um, private detective Ken Brennan to become involved. Um, so Brennan's investigation brought him to Lance Mueller. Muller, I don't know how to say it. Um, and his companion. So he checked out the other hotel guests because he was just like, well, maybe it just was a weird coincidence, something. I don't know. Um, they were in room 349, which was adjacent. I can't think in my head what adjacent means, but either that's beside or across from. Um, they were adjacent to Flanagan's room. Um, and it turns out that Mueller, this Lance Mueller guy, had been handling a loaded firearm while under the influence of alcohol, leading to an accidental discharge. Un- unaware of the gravity of the situation, they just thought that, oh, the gun went off, but it just shot into the wall. They didn't, they didn't say a single thing, but there was a dent in the wall separating the two rooms, which had been filled in with toothpaste. So, okay, um, that's great. So they really went the extra length just to cover it up, but they didn't think, I don't know if they just checked out the next day before, right. um, before, you know, the, the cor- before they discovered the body. Um, so the bullet had penetrated the wall between the two rooms. Okay, this is kind of graphic, but like, it entered Flanagan's, it's just graphic because of the area. It entered Flanagan's scrotum um, and then went up inside of his body and became lodged in his heart, which then resulted in his death. Um, now, the reason why the initial autopsy, the autopsist, wasn't you know, indicative of this was that the bullet's entry point was initially missed due to the soft and overlapping nature of scrotal skin. Um, for all you who don't know about scrotal skin, fun stuff. Um, moreover, so the bullet wound in the heart was clearly, evidently, missed during the initial examination. They just didn't have a reason, I guess, to look at the heart. I don't know. Um, so, ultimately, this Lance Mueller, I don't know how to pronounce it, M-U-E-L-L-E-R. Do you know or have heard of that before? Mueller? Oh my god, it's so Mueller. Um, (laughs) sorry, it's a Mueller. Um, Mueller. Lance, Lance, sorry, I'm not laughing at your death. Um, what's his name again? We've had too many fun names here. Um, Robert? No, what was his name? Greg Flanagan. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm so sorry. Lance M- Mueller? Um, he was he was handed a 10-year prison sentence for his involvement. So he would have got out likely, probably before 2020. I didn't ch- check out, but um, yeah, so that's my first unfortunate story. A rather interesting that's one. That's crazy. But, uh, I know, like, could you imagine so just wait, chilling? They, what hotel was this at? This was in the Andrews. No, oh. Sarah, that's not a New Brunswick story. It's not the Algonquin oh. Hotel in St. Andrews. <laughs> no, this is the this is the this is the oh my god, sorry, I scrolled up too far into my other stories. This is the Elegant Hotel in Oh, um, okay, that's why it, I got Algonquin. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, this is the Algonquin Hotel, the famous haunted <laughs> hotel in New Brunswick. No, that would have even been more not that it's crazier that if it happens closer to you, but it always feels like it's crazier just because it feels like it's your home turf, you know. Rather than True. Beaumont, Texas, but we do. Wow, you know, that's kind of scary. I wonder. So they didn't know that they killed him. They didn't know. I'm guessing, and I don't know if they were still in the hotel or if, because obviously, I'm guessing they just the detective would have tracked who was in the hotel, probably yeah. like found them like for through phone number, or whatever. Um, met up with them. Could you imagine being handed that news after the fact? Like, oh my yeah, god, the like, bullet that the bullet that you accidentally like. Why do you, for one? Why do you bring a gun to a hotel room? And then get drunk and then show off your gun to your friends or whatever you're doing. Accidentally, oh, look at the power of this pistol. Shoots it right through the wall. Um, 
poor guy. According to the according to the um according to the yeah the the case, like he had just been previously eating a candy bar in his hotel room, and then he just died. Aww. Um, so you know, condolences go out to the Flanagan family. I hope you are all doing okay. Um, and please don't ever fire a firearm ever in your life. Thanks. Yes. We are boycotting guns here in Canada. Um, Sarah, wanna wanna bring us down somewhere? Um, yeah. So this one is more. Um, I mean, yeah, it's kind of along the same lines, but it's, <laughs> it's kind of like you know, guys in hotel room get shot, the scrotum, <laughs> die. Not really, but anyways. I'm, I'm so, so here for it. I'm gonna be talking about the Somerton man. Um, so. <laughs> This story takes place in Adelaide, South Australia. Um, so basically, it starts off as the this family notices this guy who's laying on the beach. And they don't really think much of it while they're at the beach because they're thinking that he's um, like a homeless person who's like sleeping on the beach. Mm. So they don't say anything. Um, and he's like... Sorry, Bella's just, like, making some noise here. No, of course. We love cats, so feel free to, you know, she's fine to make noise. The listeners know, I'm sure. They love cats. Of course. I love cats. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So the family noticed him, but they don't say anything um, because they thought he was sleeping. So then a couple comes along, and they're, like, sitting on the beach. And they're like, wow, he's been in the same position the entire time that we were here. So they go over to this man who's lying on the beach, and he's dead. Oh. So they um they obviously call the police and the police come and you know collect the body um but they can't identify this man like nobody knows who this man is so like weeks go on and they're trying to discover who this man is who was on the beach who was dead they don't know how long he's been there they're guessing based off like autopsy stuff it was more than 24 hours but they they don't know who he is Um, because there's been no, like, you know, missing people reports or anything. Right. So they end up finding a little, like, paper ripped out of a book with the phrase Taman Shud on it. Sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's Persian. Taman Shud? Yeah. And it means is over or is finished. So they find that written it looks like it's like ripped out of a book but again like they're not really sure like if it has any meaning um so i guess they must have like i don't know if they put out like a public thing trying to look for this book but a man comes forward and he has a copy of like a poetry book um, don't tell me that 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 one thing is ripped out yeah so it's like perfectly ripped out of this Sorry, I spoiled book. it, but I just was like, what? <laughs> um, and that book was, it was just like a Persian poetry book, and he had this piece out of it. So then they get like, they're suspicious of this man who brought in the book because they're like, do you know this guy? Like, we can't figure out who this guy is. And so the guy's like, no, I got this book from, sorry, what's her name? Sorry. Oprah Winfrey? <laughs> the Oprah Winfrey Book Club? <laughs> I got... <laughs> From Jessica Thompson. Oh, love her. Um, which I think she was a nurse, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Oh, no. So she, um, so then they're like, okay, well, clearly you didn't do it if you got this book from her. They take his word. He doesn't know the man, whatever. Um, so they contact this. Oh, and also just to add, they also found inside this book um, Jessica Thompson's name was on it with her number. So that's how they were able to contact her. With her phone they, number? Yeah. <laughs> but but um, I think her phone number. That book really must have meant a lot to them. Or maybe they searched up afterwards yeah. at least her name. And there know. was also like a hidden code in it, but they've never been able to figure out what There's it no means. There's no way. They, they tried to like, cr- like, I don't know what it, it's like handwriting. Mis- yeah, but they couldn't. So, yeah. Oh. There's like some weird stuff. But anyway, they called this Jessica Thompson. She also claimed she had no idea who this man was, literally like denied it. Um, And she's like, she's not sure how that paper got ripped out, whatever. So 
Um, years go by. They have no idea who this man is. No one ever comes forward saying, like, anyone's missing. They're not able to, like, identify him. Still to this day, he's an unidentified man who was just found lying on the beach. Why is he called Um, the Summerton Man? Good question. Summerton Beach, maybe? Oh, yeah. I think so. Okay, well, let's just assume so. I was like, nothing in there says Summerton, and then I thought that maybe that's... That is right. Summerton, okay, thought- South Australia. So that's like the area. Yeah. Huh. Um, and, but anyway, Jessica Thompson's daughter ended up like saying later on after she had died that she actually did know him and she told her not to like ever tell anyone. But this was when she was a kid. So she was like, I have no idea like what the relation was between my mom and this man. But she told me she did know him, but she wasn't allowed to tell the police. Um. So, so that's looking a bit weird. It's looking a bit sus, Jessica. I'm going to be honest with you. What? That is so yeah, strange. They also, like, don't know how he died. They think it was natural causes because there was no, like, poison or... But did they check his like, scrotum? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let's hope the autopsist checked the scrotum, I guess. Gosh. Um... But yeah, I just think it's kind of crazy how they were never able to identify this man. That is so, like somebody, somebody went the extra, Jessica or somebody went the extra lengths to really just like put like a little poetry book. Well, I don't know, like how long had that guy, did that guy have that book for? Like how long, like was this like a tiny little phrase, little piece of yeah. a paper? And what? That is, that is something strange. I'll tell you that right there. Um, yeah. These poor, these poor people, honestly, um, you know, condolences to his family, wherever they are, if he has a family. If he has family, yeah. If he has family, we're just, maybe he's an alien, I don't know. Um, <laughs> with, but with that in mind, um, let us just go, excuse me, onto a little, you know, a little, a little more positive of a note. So, um... Now this one almost seems to I'm not sure if it's if it's credible, although it's kind of a a well known, more well known story. Um at least I think it is. I feel like I've heard it's one of those ones I've heard before. Um but there are names in the story, so whether they're fake or not, who knows? But it's all over the internet. Anyway, regardless. Um in the summer of nineteen sixty six, y'all know that summer, we loved it. Uh, such a good summer. Yeah. Um, the Loge family, not Loge as in L, not the Mamashi Loge, spelled L A U S I E R, just for clarification, I guess. Um, like many others, we're enjoying, oh my God, we love beaches. We're enjoying a sunny day at the bustling beach in summer, just kidding, in Salem. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Um, in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, now, four-year-old Roger from the Roger Lozier, um, with his youthful curiosity and innocence, was playing in the shallow waters. However, the ocean, as always, was unpredictable. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, this is not my wording, but I, I mean, we love it. Um, a sudden undercurrent caught young Roger, pulling him away from the safety of the shallows into deeper waters. So he's going out. Like, he's, you know, there's no chance. And he's drowning. Mm-hmm. He's literally drowning. Um, four years old and drowning. That should be like, that's probably his book title. Um, spoiler. Um, Alice Blaze, um, then a 21 year old woman was at the same beach, perhaps enjoying the sun, the sand, or a book. Um, the screams of Roger's mother pierced the, the usual beach sounds, alerting Alice to the crisis unfolding in the waves. This is so dramatic. I love it. I love whoever wrote this. I'm just, I'm living for it. Um, not that I, you know, I write my own material, of course. Um, um, without, without a second thought for her own safety, she plunged into the water. Battling the waves and the undercurrent, she reached Roger, who by then was struggling to keep his head above water. So he was just drowning, having a bad time. Um, I, I assure you he wasn't having, oh a, good, having a good time. Um, this is, sounds so dramatic, but essentially a kid just got pulled out and somebody ran into the water and got him out. Um, she reached Rod. Okay, I already said that. With a strength <laughs> she might have not known that she had, Alice grasped Roger and fought her way back to the shore, saving his life. Like she saved a life. Oh my God. No. Wait, so you don't know if this is real? I'm guessing. Like is, is that, it has happened to somebody. Um, I think it is. It's, it's been on enough things online that it probably is, but it also kind of, it kind of has the remnants of like a positive creepypasta, like just one of those things like that. 
it's almost too cool. But anyway, it's almost you. You don't even know yet, but um, it's almost like <laughs> too coincidental to be true. But at the same, it almost just seems like something people would post online to be like, "Oh my god." Um, but then, so they were both swimming later on, and they both drowned. Just kidding. Could you imagine? Um, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. This is a positive story. Now, fast forward um, four years later, um, Roger, now an eight-year-old, if you can't keep up with how old he is, um, he hadn't forgot his brush with death and the brave woman who had saved him. Um, so now, on this particular day, Roger was at the same beach. Um, now a bit older, a bit stronger. Um, now, history in a bizarre twist was about to repeat itself. John Russell, a man in his 50s, was enjoying his time in the water when he found himself in distress. Um, unable to swim back to shore. Same old, same old. Um, it was eerily similar to what had happened to Roger. This time, oh however, um, she saved he... Him again? What's that? The girl came back? No. So Roger, oh. although he was only eight years old, he didn't hesitate. He hopped in. He remembered his own terror in the water, and he hopped in. Right. Oh, um, I see. He hopped in there. Um, and so he... He reached Roger in the water, or reached Mr. Russell in the water. He reached himself. Um, he went back in time. No, he reached Mr. Russell in the water, and he brought the struggling man back to safety oh. on the shore. Now, Mr. Russell happened to be the father of Alice, the one who had saved him no four way. years earlier. Um, it became a local legend, the story. So whether it's local legend, internet legend, I thought it was just a nice, positive um, twist on fate. Um, That's so true. That's crazy. Yeah. Plot twist. Roger just spent every single day of his life from that point with like severe trauma and just sitting on the beach waiting for somebody to drown. And he's saved like <laughs> 50, he saved 50 people from drowning. And then this per- 51st person just happened to be like the father of the, could you imagine? That's crazy. No, that, none of that happened, but it oh. just was a coincidence. Um, we love, we love, um, um, we love a good rescue story and a double rescue with a twist. Um, now, Sarah, do you have a pause? Sarah's like, yeah, I got um, like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. But I think we took different like paths here. Well, so, so as long as yours isn't like, like, you know, going to just. Oh, yeah. It's just like not, ne- not so much. Sorry, the dogs are barking. No, you're good. It's not, not so much um, like a story. Okay. So I was thinking, um, instead of saying, like, a story, I tried to find one, but I just, like, couldn't really find it. Do you have another list? So, uh, kind of. Okay, sorry. So I have, so I was like, oh, maybe I can, like, talk about, you know, people who have, like, done good things in, like, the world and, like, as such. So I came across this website, Historical Figures of the L- of LGBTQ History. Sorry, so, I don't want to. I'm not comfortable talking about that topic. <laughs> Should you imagine? <laughs> so I'm gonna share um, three stories of people who have, you know, fought for the rights of the LGBT people and caved or paved the pathway. Talk everyone into a deep cave. <laughs> the folks like Kale and I. Um, thanks, thanks for outing me. Just kidding. Could you imagine? As if we haven't talked about our queer queerness on this podcast. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Please. No, talk. it's okay. Okay, so the first person is Major Griffin Gracie, also known as Miss Major. Oh, so. Uh, Miss Major Griffin Gracie, often referred to as Miss Major, because nobody wanted a, to say that, <laughs> is a yeah, is a black transgender, gender queer woman, social activist, and community leader who participated in the 1969 Stonewall riots in New York City. Miss Major has spent more than 40 years of her life working on a variety of causes for marginalized groups, including those related to transgender women of color. Her own experiences with incarceration gave her inspiration to advocate for those subjected to heteronormativity and racism within the prison system and living on the streets. A formative experience for her happened while at the Attica State Prison in New York during a four-day uprising in September 1971, which inspired her to help other trans women, especially trans women of color, by making sure they were not subjected to the same treatment she endured. She also played a major activist role during the AIDS crisis as a part 
of a number of HIV slash AIDS organizations. This then led her this then led to her serving as one of the first executive directors of the Transgender Gender Variant Intersex Justice Project, also known as the TGIJP. The TGIJP. Now that has more of a ring to it. <laughs> Recently, Miss Major has relocated to Little Rock, Arkansas, to start the Griffin Gracie Historical Retreat and Educational Center. She moved, she moved to where, Sarah? Little Rock, Arkansas. We're going to go with that. Is that not how you say it? <laughs> Have you never heard of how to pronounce that state? I don't think so. It's Arkansas. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why. I was going to correct you. There's a Lana Del Rey song where she like sp- like purposefully says Arkansas. And so for a second there, I didn't think you made a mistake. And I was going to be like, don't you mean... Arkansas, and I was like, oh no, wait, Arkansas is the right one. Anyway, sorry, not to just call you out, but the listeners would have. No, I didn't know, so thank you. So she moved there, and sorry, I got caught up. What did Um, she do there? She opened the Griffin Gracie Historical Retreat and Educational Center, um, and it was built for a safe house for the transgender community. Oh, Oh, iconic. Is she still alive? Uh, it doesn't say she's not. Okay, we love that. <laughs> we love that, Miss Major. Um, <clears throat> so then we have Marsha P. Johnson. Now, I think we watched a documentary about her in class once, right? We love Marsha P. Johnson, yes. We did, right? I, I think so. I, I definitely heard her name a lot, so I, I don't know if we watched it together. Probably in that one class that we had that we definitely liked. No, 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 sorry. We liked we liked the material. We just didn't like the course itself. That sounds so bad. We hated so bad. We hate everything. Women's rights. Just kidding. No, it was a gender uh it was a gen- women and gender studies course and it was it was a good course. We loved the the, the material, not just not so much the prof. Anyway. Yeah, true. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Sorry to not to be anti-feminist there. <laughs> Don't um, cancel. So, Marsha, a black transgender woman, self-identified drag queen, slay, activist, and LGBTQ revolutionary, was a key figure in the LGBTQ plus rights movement in the United States. She is attributed with spearheading the Stonewall riot. What does that mean? Like, initiating. Or, yeah, like, like taking taking the lead. The lead. Okay. Um, Although, I mean, she self- didn't start them, but, like, you know, she she rioted because of what happened, I guess. Not to say that she was the problematic yeah, one. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, So, Marsha established STAR, which is the street, trans- the street Transgender Action Revolutionaries, which is a group that supports homeless transgender youth in NYC, Chicago, California, and England. Marsha was a popular figure in New York's LGBTQ plus art scenes and had modeled for artists such as Andy Warhol and performed on stage with Hot Peaches. Oh my God. To you. My favorite. <laughs> or that is. For real? Oh. I don't know. <laughs> um, mm, you know what I want right now? Yeah. Random. Yeah. I, I would love like a nice, what is, like a, what is it called? Not a peach crumble. What's it called? Like a peach cobbler? Yeah. I think same you know, thing. You know. And, you know, like a peach dessert with some, some yeah. Ah, that'd be so good with some oats. Anyway, sorry, just hot peaches <laughs> made me think of some hot peach crumble or peach cobbler. Anyway, no, that's so true, Gail. Tell me more about these icons. Um, and last we have Sylvia Rivera, who was a transgender American woman, LGBT liberation activist, and self-identified drag queen of Puerto Rican and Venezuelan descent. Born and raised in New York City, she was orphaned at three years old and homeless by the time she was 11, giving her personal insight into the experiences of many LGBTQ youth who she referred to as her children. She was a key figure in the LGBTQ plus rights movement in the United States, earning a fierce reputation and eventual respect by the early 1960s, further cemented by her presence in the front lines of the Stonewall riots. She was a passionate activist. Active, advocate 
<laughs> for homeless, queer, and trans youth and criticized the gay liberation movement for their transphobia and for ignoring the poor treatment of LGBTQ plus individuals in prison. As yeah, we love. We love. So shout out to these people and the many others. Oh my gosh, yeah. So many people have paved the way and we're so indebted to them for getting the world to where it is today with regard to LGBTQIA plus individuals. Um, so true. So true. We don't talk about them enough, but there are definitely a lot of good podcasts that do talk about these, these um, influential people for sure. Um, now, not to just completely bum it all out again, but I just would like to... I'd like to I'd like to, you know, go on a different a different note here. Um so yeah, we're going back to negative, correct? Okay. Um so this I got from luminalpod.com, so it's been featured on another podcast, but forget I said that because this is the only podcast that you should be listening to to get this information. Um but shout out to them for, you know, posting this online. Um this is the story of the Durhams, a married couple, Glennet and Martin who went by Marty. Um, the two lived in Ensley Township, Sand Lake, that's such a mouthful, um, in Michigan. And they had been, oh my God, there's so many common themed places. You'll, you'll see why later, but we've already talked about Massachusetts, Michigan. Anyway, that's not the same. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, you'll see where I'm coming from. Um, they had been married for 11 years at the time of their deaths in 2015. That was a little whoop. Um, between the two of them, from previous marriages, the couple had five children in total. Marty had three, and Glenna had two. Um, in 1995, Marty was in a car accident that essentially shattered the left half of his body and caused minor brain damage. Um, now, because of this, Marty collected disability funds, and he, was on, he didn't work. Um, now, Glenna took care of him, and she received government-funded income as his caretaker. Um, now, over the years, Glenna gambled away much of the money the couple had. She was an addict who gambled her way into financial trouble as most people do. Um, this was a shock to Marty, who was a frugal man. You know, he was a saver um, and just had, you know, didn't want any part of this. Um, their difference in spending habits and Glenna's battle with gambling addiction caused a lot of arguments between Marty and Glenna. Um, despite all of this, the couple was known to be inseparable. They were just, you know, the, the diehards. I don't know. Um, they were happy overall, um, you know, in the public eye, and they definitely loved each other, according to friends. Um, Glenna was sensitive to Marty's injuries and his disability, and she took care of him as his professional caretaker and as his wife. Um, and according to you know friends, their arguments were just kind of normal for them. Now, around 2010, Marty's health took a turn for the worse, as did Glenna's gambling addiction. She was stopping at the casino once or twice a week, if not more. Marty would go to lo- with her to local casinos, but when they traveled, she would venture out to casinos on her own and would spend their vacations gambling. <clears throat> She also spent money weekly on scratch tickets and other small, smaller-scale gambling. Oh my god, I'm just realizing how much... Sorry, sorry, all of the, the themes of all... <laughs> anyway, it's like I'm foreshadowing, but I'm not. Um, the next positive story that I have. Um, however, um, in 2015, um, the couple had their car repossessed due to a non-payment, but Glenna assured Marty, you know, it was a mistake and that she'd fix it. But before she could fix this mistake, quotes... Their home address was in the paper in a list of homes to be auctioned off to the bank, or by the bank. Um, Marty's mom saw this and asked him about it, but once again, Glenna assured Marty that it was an error. It's all an error, and that she'd take care of it. And he believed her. He trusted her. Um, now, on May 13th, a day after Sarah's 14th birthday in 2015, um, how dare they? Just kidding. Um the police received a call from the Durham's neighbor who, was, who reported finding the couple with gunshot wounds. She'd gone over to check on them after not hearing from them or seeing movement for a couple of days. Um, by now, the only people living at the home are Marty, Glenna, and their parrot, Bud. Um, all the kids have grown up, and they've moved out. Now, when the police arrived at the home, Martin was laying on the couple's living room, already dead from five gunshot wounds. Um, Glenna was near him, and she'd been shot, but less times. Um, she had been shot twice, once in her head. As police checked them both for signs of life, believing them both to be dead, they saw a faint breath coming from Glenna. Police leaned in to check, and Glenna, you know, they could, they could, they heard like faint, they heard some slow breathing, and they got a faint pulse. Um, she was rushed to the, rushed, rushed, oh my god, rushed to the, 
<laughs> Russia there. She was rushed to the hospice or the hospital. I don't know. With a, okay, hospice. we already we already went over that. The hospice. <laughs> well, I know that's where you. Well, it says the hospice. It says the hospice, but I'm guessing Why it's not the, the hospice. <laughs> she was taken <laughs> to a. She was taken to an end of care home. End of life home. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, the bullet that had hit Glenna's head had only grazed her. Um, and she survived. Now, the question everyone wanted to know, what happened and who shot this couple? Glenna couldn't recall a thing. Um, she was super traumatized. She had, she had no idea um, what had happened prior. Um, and investigators did search their home, but they came up short. There was no sign of a break-in or any other leads. Um, but the investigator's belief was that a third party had come into the house and shot the couple just without you know, breaking in. Um, the murder weapon was found under the couch in the living room. And that was it. Police were quickly at the de- dead end in the case. Um, now, a day or so later, Marty's children met at the house to look around. Most sources say they snuck in because they were suspicious of, those, of their father's death. They stumbled across some unopened envelopes that the police had left behind. Inside the envelopes were letters addressed to Glenna's children, her ex-husband, and to Glenna's mother. The letters to them, the kids, were apologies for being a bad person. Um, and the letter to the ex-husband was a request that he take care of them after she was gone, it said. Um, now, these letters appear to be suicide notes. The children immediately alerted police to these letters, which are found as, which were, you know, super, super sus. Um, and now the police changed their course of investigation. They began to look into Glenna as a suspect. Um, they found that she'd recently searched the internet on her phone for a pistol brand, the same kind that she'd used in the shooting. Um, she was questioned about the letters, but she claimed she didn't recall writing them. Convenient. Um, <laughs> now, as for the search history, she denied this and said she'd only use her phone for games. Um, she also denied any involvement in the murder of her husband. Um, now, the only other evidence, in quotes, that police had was from other people. Friends told the police that Glenna and Marty fought a lot, and that Glenna would often joke about how she was just waiting for Marty to die so that she could collect money. Um, you know, anyway. Um, kind of awkward, but I guess she she was joking. Whatever. She was joking. <laughs> she was joking. Um, and again, the police did a roadblock. They were suspicious of Glenna, but some letters in an internet search history weren't enough for the police to make an arrest. Um, now, a year later, a viral video would change this case. This video is online, so you can see it, and it's actually quite disturbing. Um a video was released by Marty's family along with a plea to arrest Glenna for the murder. Now, in this video, Bud, the Durham's parrot, who now lived with Marty's ex-wife, is seen just go, kind of just, you know, right, or I don't know, it says, it says in the article, flitting, but I didn't really know, I'd never used the word flitting, but he was flitting from one side of his cage to the other, talking to himself in two voices, or rather he was arguing with himself. The parrot appeared in the appears in the video to be reenacting an argument between two people believed to be Marty and Glenna. Now this is a year later, which is kind of weird, but the parrot ends the video by saying, and I quote, "Don't fucking shoot." Believed by many to be Marty's last words. This and it's so weird. So like watching That's the video, you crazy. can watching watching the video, you can hear the phrases, "No, no, um, shut up." Uh, get your shit over here before yelling, don't effing shoot. Um, it's so weird. So weird. And like, and, and the voices that the parrot is able to actually like do, like it actually sounds like he's replicating like exactly what he heard. Um, that's creepy. It is so creepy. Um, now this, this video, it was, you know, everyone was like, was he actually reenacting the scene that he had heard? Um, from two people, or if was it just something that you know was on TV? Some people thought that maybe this ex-wife of of um, Marty's had just you know kind of rehearsed this with the bird just to be. But it was so mm-hmm. so. It's just so weird that it's like it's almost too accurate to be just fake. Um, now experts do agree that parrots have a really strong bond with their owners and mimic the humans around them. Um, most agree that Bud's words are mimics of his two humans and likely mimics of the last argument. They, okay, this is why is this repeating itself? Yeah, we know. We know what it is. Um, and so because of how traumatized this bird was during that, and like you can even hear in the video, like he just makes these really high-pitched noises in, in the comments of the video. Somebody said like, 
that sounds like you know he's the parrot's just like just making the tone of the ringing that he would have heard in his ears after the gun went off um because there were multiple Aww. gunshots um that poor bird uh now now with this new video um although it was it wasn't taken as like actual hard evidence um it just was circumstantial evidence um and i think there must have been something else too um, police did make an arrest, and Glenna, um, she was charged um, in the murder. Um, yeah, and so, let me see, let me see, let me see. Yeah, so, It was I so guess, obviously her. <laughs> right, anyway, so investigators believe that Glenna saw mur- murder-suicide as the only way out of their marital and financial troubles. Um, see notification, be reels going off. It happens every time, I'm just, <laughs> we, we, won't, we won't disrupt the, int- the episode, though. Just wanted to put that out there as the millennials we are. Um, so she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, that's what you get for killing your husband. And I mean, I get it was a murder suicide, but wow. still, it just was kind of, or attempted a, a murder, attempted suicide. But um, what an unfortunate, what an unfortunate story. And I feel bad, you know, if that parrot's alive. I hope he's eating lots of crackers. Uh, probably want a cracker. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> However, um, condolences to that family, I guess. Yeah. Not a, gu- not a guess. I mean, like, condolences are in yes. order, but I just don't mean to keep saying that, like, as if I'm just so not. I'll have to watch that all. video. The video is actually really creepy. Like, it's just so creepy. Ugh. But you can tell the parrot, like, there's more, like, there's more, it's more accurate for Marty's voice. And, like, people were like, oh, well, he, cl-, he like, the parrot probably had a closer bond with Marty than he did Glenna. She's probably out gla- gambling too much to. For the parrot to bond with her, um, but anyway, it's just like you know the the woman's voice is kind of a little, a little bit more, um, just hard to recognize than the man's or than Marty's. But um, yeah, really weird, really weird stuff. Yeah, that's um, weird. Weird, weird, weird. Sarah, now do you want to take it away? Um, sure. So mine's a little shorter. That's fine, um, but still. Um, so this, I'm going to be talking about the Black Dahlia murder. Oh, I've heard of it. I know it's like a, I know it's like a legendary case, but I can't, I can't think of what happened. I never heard of it till today, but, um. Really? Yeah. On January 15th, 1947, the remains of 22-year-old Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia, were found on the block of... North Avenue in in Los Angeles. The body was cut in half and so pale and drained of blood that the woman who found the body mistook it for a mannequin. The body was cut with surgical precision, leaving no trauma to internal organs and bones. Her face was also cut from her mouth to ears, leaving an eerie permanent smile. There was no blood on the ground, making it believed that the body was moved after she had been murdered. Nine days after she was discovered, an envelope was sent to the examiner and addressed by using individual cut-and-pasted letters from magazines and newspapers. It read, The Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers. Here is Dahlia's belongings. Letter to follow. As promised, the envelope contained her social security card, birth certificate, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with pages missing and the name Mark Hansen embossed on the cover. Gasoline was used to clean the objects, removing all fingerprints. On March 14th, a suicide note scrawled in pencil on a bit of paper was found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the foot of Breeze Avenue in Venice. The note read, To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but they, but not have, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. The pile of clothing was first seen by the beach caretaker who reported the discovery to the lifeguard captain, John Dillon. Dillon immediately notified the West Los Angeles Police Station. The clothes included a coat and trousers, a blue tweed, a brown and white shirt, white jockey shorts, tan socks, and a tan moccasin shoe. However, the clothes gave no clue about the identity of their owner. 
Although many suspects were named, no authorities were able to identify the Black Dahlia's killer, and the mystery has gone unsolved for over 70 years. Right? Isn't that just so weird? crazy. Yeah. Like, the fact that, like, all that evidence is just, like, and stuff was just put out there. Right? I think it's so crazy how, like, things can go unsolved for just... I know. I know. Like, that, and then, like, the John... Like, just so many cases, I guess. I know, but, like... And I mean, I get it. There's limits to what we can, but there's just so much. And I get that it was also 1940, what, 47? But still, but still, um, weird, weird. Yeah, that's definitely one that I've heard a lot of speculation on before. Just such a weird, Mm. such a weird happening. Um, Yeah. It's not every day that just such a brutal murder is committed and just like. It's really not, eh? Then somebody just kind of like, just. Does this whole big charade and like puts clothes, but they just put clothes on the beach, right? Like they didn't, it was the beach, correct? Sorry. Uh, Did you say it was the beach that the clothes were on? I'm just thinking of the beach. I thought it said a thrift store. Oh, that's so awkward. You probably did say a thrift store. I thought you said something about, no, you definitely did. You definitely did. I think I'm just like combining all the different stories now. Oh, no. (laughs) You're right. Ocean's Edge at the foot of Breeze Avenue. Oh. So at I, the Ocean's Edge, or is just, that like at a thrift store called the Ocean's that, Edge? Like, I think it's, I don't, <laughs> know if, I, I don't know if it's the store, or if it's like the street name, or if it's an actual ocean. Well, wherever it is, I'm sure a quick Google <laughs> search might show, but um, that's for next week. That's for next week's factual analysis, I guess. We haven't done one of those in so long, because we've been so right always. Just kidding, our listeners just haven't <laughs> either been yeah, listening. We could have done one next week for Arkansas, but... We love our Kansas. Arkansas. Like, why write it like that? Just to mess mess with people's That's heads, facts. honestly. No, That's people are doing too much. We're doing too much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we love, we don't love that. We don't love the killing of um, Elizabeth Short. But um, what we do love is this next story coming up. Um, now this, have you watched, okay. Now, for anybody out there who's watched, um, have you watched the movie Jerry and Marge Go Large? No. Okay, so maybe you don't know about the story. It's a great movie, and I suggest that you watch it. Of course, this movie is, you know, inspired by true events. It doesn't quite play out the way that the real-life story does, but that's just movie magic. We know it. We love it. However, I'm going to be telling the real story of Jerry and Marge Selby. Now, um, they're a retired couple from a small t- from the small town of Everett, Michigan. That's when Michigan comes into play again, as I last said in my last story. I think it was my last negative story. Yeah, that was Michigan, um, where the couple lived. Um, now, this this small town had a population of just, you know, 1,900. Um, 19 million, just kidding. Um, <laughs> they, ran, they ran a convenience store for 17 years where Jerry, a former Kellogg's factory worker, we love Kellogg's, reference in the last no, episode, yeah. um, with his love for math, he handled the liquor and Marge managed the books and made sandwiches, is what this... The source says, we love sandwiches. Some, you know, gas station sandwiches. Um, Now, they raised six children together, and they decided to retire in their early 60s, looking forward to a peaceful life, you know, as one does. However, in 2003, now, now stop me if you've ever heard of this, because this is kind of a fascinating, fascinating tale. Um, Jerry's interest in math led him to a life-changing discovery. He quickly came across a brochure for a new lottery game called Windfall. And he quickly and he, and he quickly noticed a unique feature, what's called a roll down. Now this was for this one game, um, and this roll down occurred when the jackpot reached five million dollars um, without a winning number, um, causing the prize money to be distributed among lower tier winners. So it's kind of, I don't expect the listeners or you to really understand what that means, but essentially it gives people with. So essentially you needed a certain amount, say like five or six numbers. If you had all the same numbers that were drawn, then you would get $5 million. But there were weeks where nobody reached that, or nobody got six numbers. So they allowed people with four or five or whatever numbers to have a chance at getting um, not the big big jackpot, but, uh, you know, a little bit more. They won. Some people won smaller amounts. Now, Jerry had his bachelor's degree in math, and he realized the potential for a profitable return on investment in this game. So his calculations showed 
that by betting a certain amount and over a certain amount, that the returns could significantly in- exceed the investment. So essentially, he just basically just discovered a flaw in this lottery system. Now, don't ask me how, because I, I'm not a mathematical <laughs> person. But essentially, what I just told you was how. Now, he first put his theory to test by investing $3,600. So he went to the store, he bought $3,600 uh, worth of tickets um, for, this, for this lotto. Um, and to his delight, he won $6,300. Um, now, next time, he bet, he set his bet to $8,000 and nearly doubled it again. So he had consistent success with the strategy. And although it was kind of like a little bit rocky at first because he was just doing this, like they were kind of, like, you know, just modest people. They didn't really, like, they didn't drink, they didn't smoke, um, they didn't, you know, spend their money on just random stuff, and they didn't really play the lottery ever. Um, so he just had seen this pamphlet and was like, well, the math says here that, like, if I just bet cool. this amount, then I'm guaranteed money back when... So, like, what? Who who just lets that slide? I guess his yeah. math was just super hardcore, whatever. Um, now, um, the couple... So then, eventually, he told his wife, Marge, about it because, you know, he was like, I'm not going to lie to you forever. Um, <laughs> Yay. And so the couple, she was, like, she was ecstatic. Um, and the couple began to play then for much higher stakes. They actually established a corporation, GS Investment Strategies, and they invited family and friends to invest in their lottery endeavors. By the end of it, I think that um, there was about 25 people um, in this this group. Um, They, Jerry and Marge, would even drive 15 hours every time that this was announced, the rollback was announced, um, to play the game in Massachusetts as well. So we love Massachusetts coming back into play again. I think I touched on that earlier. Um, now, their approach was systematic and precise. Whenever a roll-down was announced, the Selbys would purchase large quantities of tickets, sometimes investing over $600,000 in a single game. They would then take on the meticulous process of sorting these tickets by hand, dedicating days to this task. Like, they would, in the movie, I'm not sure if it's dramatized or not, like when they'd go to Massachusetts, they would rent out the same hotel room and they would like spend 11 days just counting the tickets in their room, oh in that room. Oh my God. Um, it was a well thought out strategy. It wasn't just a gamble. They, it was a strategy that required dedication and hard work. Um, in one instance, they played $515,000 and they won back $853,000, um, which a mathematical, according to this article, was a return of about 60%. Um, they continued this pattern for several years, um, and that until their story began to attract attention. Um, I don't know if it was, it must have, it says several years here, but then I'm not sure how many, how long it actually was. I'm guessing several years. Um, local investors, including a lawyer, a machine shop operator, and retired farmers joined their group, seeing the clear mathematical advantage to Jerry's strategy. Um, however, in 2011, the Boston Globe pur- purchased published articles mm-hmm about the unusually high volume of windfall tickets being sold. Um, This led to an investigation by the state of Massachusetts. Um, The investigation revealed that two groups, the Selbys, and a syndicate of math majors from MIT had legally exploited the lottery game's roll-down feature. Um, both, Both groups had invested millions and earned substantial profits. Despite the scrutiny, the investigation concluded that no illegal activity had occurred. The Selbys had simply found a lawful way to capitalize on the, lotter- the lottery game structure, um, and their operation did not affect the odds of other play- lottery players when the roll-down occurred. It was a beneficial bet for everyone, not just for them. Now, over nine years... Oh, okay, never mind. It literally says over nine <laughs> years. I was like, was it years, though? Um, yes, it was nine years. Jerry and Marge's unique enterprise grossed more than $26 million. Um, oh, God. And they, they used their lottery winnings um, in practical and family-oriented ways. They focused on renovating their home and, assist, and assisting their six children, 14 grandchildren, and 10 great-grandchildren with their educational expenses. Um, how sweet. They didn't you know, go crazy, spend a whole lot on themselves. Um, but could you imagine? Like, and the movie's actually really good. Like, I know I just told the story. Um, the movie's inspired by that, but it has a bit of a different structure kind of added to it. But like everything that happens that I told you. Where's um, the movie on? It's on Amazon Prime, I believe. 
Um, so if you have access to that, I don't or no, I don't know if it actually is on Amazon Prime. Although it might be. I think. I mean, Wait, I just what's streamed it. Called it again? It's called Jerry and Marriage Go Large. How cute! Oh my god, that's funny. <laughs> right, we love it. We love it. So go give that a watch. It's a totally. It's a really good movie. Um, and yeah, I I just hope that a lot of the movie is actually true. I, I although I know like the yeah. there's a big plot point in it that's kind of evidently not, but um, I just like to think that you know a lot of the wholesome mm-hmm. stuff that's in that movie um kind of was the real the real real deal. But as far as I know, what I just told you is the real deal. However. Feel free to watch that movie. Take what you want from it, like I did. I want to now, yeah. Um, but yeah, go check that out, everyone. And that was a story of the Selby's. Um, yeah, Beautiful story. Thank you, Sarah Jane. Um, so for my last positive thing, um, Akil, have you ever heard of Humans of New York? I don't think I have. I mean, I've heard so, that people live there. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Do you imagine? No, I don't so know what this is. So it's basically this, I think it's a guy who goes around and takes pictures of people in New York oh, no. and shares like stories from these people. Is this, so, like, this isn't the, sorry, not to, this isn't the guy that paints them on the street, is it? No, I don't believe he paints. <laughs> okay. Okay. I've seen somebody similar in New York, but I'm uh, Sorry. So I thought some of them are like really cute and wholesome and he just like puts their picture and puts a quote that they said or like a story they shared. So I'm just going to go through some of them and read them because some of them are like really cute. Uh, I wish I could like, I wish I could like show the picture. Well, we can put them um, on our Instagram. I'll try and describe it best as I can. So first we have um, this woman. She's wearing a really nice printed dress her handbags pale pink she looks really bougie has some sunglasses on so she said people waste way too much energy taking things personally that facebook post is probably not about you it was probably an accident that you were tagged in that picture and the person you're dating is probably acting sad because that's how they respond to setbacks at work not because you did anything Mm. valid so Next, we have a picture of a mother and daughter. Very cute picture. The mom is wearing a very colorful dress. The daughter looks a little more like laid back. They kind of look like polar opposites, to be honest. <laughs> it's, it's not her daughter. <laughs> so the the guy asked, what's your favorite thing about your mother? And she said, she loves life more than anyone I've ever known. I hope she doesn't mind me telling you this, but recently she had some health problems. And her health got so bad at one point, she called me and said, I was starting to wonder if there was any reason to go on. But then I had the most delicious pear. Aww. <laughs> like, how cute is the that? The small things. Okay, wait, how old is this daughter? Sorry, like, by just, um, like, how would you say? I would say the daughter's maybe in her 40s. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was thinking it was, like, a four-year-old daughter. And I was like, wow, that's quite, like, <laughs> she called me up and said, like... <laughs> I don't want to go loud. Ah, I'm gonna have <laughs> to start. Funny. Did you say this is an Instagram account or like multiple? Yeah, it's an Instagram account. It's really cool. Ah, okay, um, keep going. Sorry, the so dogs are. So then there's just like a picture of a dad and his little baby. The baby's like not probably not even a year old. Thanks for clarifying. Um, <laughs> and he <laughs> and he said, "I'm glad I had a daughter. Ever since my grandmother died, I needed the female energy in my life. It's good energy. I mean, when things go wrong, another man can tell you that everything is going to be okay, but not like a woman can." Ah. Uh-huh. Um. Sorry, there's a lot here. Some of them are really, really long, but no, just no, reading of cute short ones. Oh, this one's funny. So it's a picture of. Um, a man, and you can tell like the eyes are like like he's blind. So he said, right after I lost vision in my eye, I was so bad at walking that I ran into a girl eating ice cream. She knocked her cone out of her hand, or I knocked her cone out of her hand. She screamed, "Are you blind?" I turned her and said, "I am blind, actually. I'm so sorry. I'll buy you a new cone." Oh. She said, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Don't worry. It's no problem at all. I'll buy another <laughs> one." So we walked into the ice cream store together, and the clerk said, "I heard the whole thing. The ice cream is free." Ah, uh, I thought you were going to say they got married or something, but ah, uh, that's that's cute enough as is. I love that. Ah, uh. 
And then the last one on here is a man who is missing an arm and he's holding like a really heavy bag above his head. And the guy asked, what's your greatest struggle right now? And his response was no struggles. I thought he was going to say holding this bag over my head with one arm, but <laughs> no struggles. So yeah, uh, it's a really, it's really cool to just like go through these and read some of them. Right. I love that. Um, just so like, so uplifting. Yeah. I might start a Miramichi one, honestly. Oh my gosh. Anyone's a Miramichi. That's like people of Walmart. We just get like, <laughs> we just take pictures of the most like, I don't know, the most not, the, com- the complete polar opposites of the people in New York. Um, no, I'm sure there's there's great people in Mamashi. We love them. We love our listeners. Everyone that's listening to this is probably from Mamashi. We love y'all. We'll take pictures of you. Um, yeah. Iconic. Wow, what a great uplifting. I'm glad that this worked out. That This was kind of a nice balance of positive and right? negative energy. Yeah. Um, you know, I was I was kind of like worried. I was like, I, although I didn't go too, too morbid, and neither did you, but it was just still, you know, I mean, they were morbid enough, but not super yeah. bad. Um. But yeah, I guess I do have to go to work soon, so I'm going to, you know, quickly. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I just we're gonna share bops of the week though, because I still have five minutes. Oh, right. But okay. my bop of the week um, is "Dance You Out of My Head" by Cat Janice. Um, anyone okay. who knows this song currently, I just texted Sarah the lyrics the lyrics of it earlier last night. I forget. Um, and she was like, "Excuse me," or I, she didn't say she that. Was Sarah's like, "What?" I and didn't then, like, recognize it. I don't yeah. know. Like, I know it from TikTok, but I don't know it enough to know the lyrics. Yeah, but everyone should go stream that song because the artist, the singer, Cat Janice, she's currently dying or not dying. I shouldn't just say it like that, but she is. Um, she's she's fighting a battle with terminal ca- lung cancer, um, and and so she expects to pass away soon, based off of everything that's going yeah. on in her life. But she has a young son, um, and so she set up. She set it up so that all of the proceeds from her music um, will go to her son when she's gone. So go stream that song. It's actually really catchy. Um, sorry to bring it down again, guys. Um, no, but um, yeah, Sarah, what's your bop of the week? Um, my bop of the week is "Hold My Girl" by George Ezra. Lovely. It's we love really George Ezra. Song. Is it new? Yeah. Do you know? No, not this one. I mean, not that it's it has older. to be. It doesn't have to be. Um, um, but yeah, George Ezra is kind of, like, kind of a bop. Like, can't lie. He's always a bop, isn't he? Yeah. Um, also, sorry, I have another bop of the week. I was going to say it last week before it was actually released because I knew it was going to be my bop of the week. But my favorite album, No Mythologies to Follow, is it's like I have, the, I have that phrase tattooed on me. It's my favorite album ever. And she just announced that the 10th anniversary edition, if anyone's interested in listening to it with me, I texted Sarah. I was like, you have to listen to this with me. She just released a new song called Fake Chanel. That one is um has been on repeat. Um Fake Chanel? Fake Chanel, yeah. That's facts. No, because yeah. But um <laughs> but yeah, so that that those are my two bops of the week. I just had to get that one in there as well. Um but sure. without further ado, that's all we will say this week. I'm declaring it. You heard it, and that's that's factual. It's, so that's it ends. what if you just didn't sign off? That would be so fun. <laughs> oh, that'd be funny. No, because, yeah, 